Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this is episode 220. And this is our Flannery O'Connor Deep Cuts episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why I'm laughing, except maybe it's to keep from crying. <laughs> we went deep. <laughs> we went deep. Right. So we've done, um, what, a couple of Flannery uh, O'Connor episodes in the past, Gosh. and here we are uh, doing another. And, um, you know, in the previous episodes, we selected the stories that really hit us hard or we really were moved by. And now we're going into the ones that I would say would be a little less so. Is this the dartboard method? <laughs> we're like, okay, which one have we not talked about? That's the method. And um, oh we're going to talk about uh, the life you save may be your own, and the displaced person, and a temple of the Holy Ghost. And all three of those happen to be in the collection, um, A Good Man is Hard to Find. You know, I saw something interesting about a good man is hard to find as I was casting around the internet going, please help me understand some of these stories. And um, someone has written a book about Flannery O'Connor looking at um, her use of scripture or allusions to scripture. And in it, in the introduction, he was saying that she had mentioned to someone that the stories in this book, she thought of as like a Dante cycle. Really? Well, that's yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have a chance to go any further, but it did kind hmm. of make me want to go through and uh, look at them thinking about that. Well, that's interesting. So just a pro tip maybe for people who want to go through and read all the stories in the book. Yeah. And these are stories, you know, I, I couldn't read them like one, two, three in a row. I had to, you know, you read one and then the next <laughs> oh, day yeah. you hit another one and the next day you hit another one. Although oh, these ones were not as um, powerful as some of her other ones, I felt. Agreed. Yeah. Like a good man is hard to find. Um, well, oh, if you have well. not read that story, yeah, run out and do so. Or the um, artificial nigger. I came across that when I was slipping through this book and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, could we talk about this one again? <laughs> you know? Just, yeah. What an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since the last time we talked about Flannery O'Connor, um, I wanted to mention that um, Bishop Barron has published one of his. Um, oh, what do you call those ones? He, he's got a series of. Oh, they're pivotal players. They're called. Oh, okay. Right. So he's done an episode on Flannery O'Connor, oh. and it's very, very good. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, it's worth I seeing. In fact, and he's they're they're publishing the Word on Fire is publishing books. Did you mm-hmm. know that? And uh, they they did the Flannery O'Connor collection. Did they? I didn't they did. know that. Yeah. Does it have commentary with it? Or it is does. It... it does have a little bit of comment. I've got it one right here in front of me. Oh um, wow! It's kind of cool. So they've got um, there's a forward by Bishop Barron, and then what he's done is, um, uh, for example, well, part two is it has a short story. A good man is hard to find, and then there's a couple of her letters, in which mm-hmm. she wrote on themes that were in that. Mm-hmm. And then there's an essay that was also written by her. 
Oh. And it's called A Reasonable Use of the Unreasonable is what uh, uh, it goes with part two there. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a nice okay. book. Nice book. Oh, I don't know how I missed that. Because yeah. I like got, Word on Fire. Yeah, it's got eight stories in it. Okay. It's all, but... Yeah, that's so cool. not a complete collection of no, something, but what he selected. Okay, right, well, that's right. fair because really, you know, uh, well, as we'll discover when we're discussing the story, sometimes you're just like, uh, deep cuts is right. And <laughs> you have to start off a little easier or yeah, more obviously, yeah. maybe. Right. And of course, that's the thing about Flannery is she uses the shocking to get your attention. Right. And she does. And um, man, does it work. I mean, it works really well. Mm-hmm. And, but even her, you know, stories that seem easier to understand have this depth that, you know, it's like you keep looking at it and it keeps changing and, mm-hmm. and you know, there's this depth that just runs underneath all of it. So, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so well, let's start with The Life You Save May Be Your Own. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it was published in 1955. And, um, wow, a summary here. So, uh, there's a, there's a a woman who's older, I would say, and her daughter who's got some, uh, um, she can't speak. Um, she's got some mental issues, I would, right? Yeah. I would say she's what in those days they would have called simple maybe. Okay. Okay. But yeah, but she, she was so simple. I mean, she didn't even speak at all. Well, they did say she didn't speak because she was deaf. Okay, okay. But he taught I, her to say the word bird anyway, which I, at that point, went, how did he do that if yeah. she's deaf? <laughs> right, yeah, how exactly did he do that? So, so that's so, the one thing she could say, because then I went, low bird, like, you know, dove, the Holy Spirit, because they keep saying how innocent she is. Right, right. She's completely um, innocent. And she's 30 yeah. years old, even though she looks younger. Mm-hmm. And um, Mr. Shiftlet is missing part of his arm. And, um, is, but he's awfully handy. So this, uh, older lady is, you know, the mom is excited to have him around because she's got a list of things that can be done. And, um, as he proves himself handy, um, she starts to say, well, you know, are you married? You know, (laughs) (laughs) she could use a son-in-law. She could use a son-in-law real bad. So, um, she's trying to talk him into, um, becoming her son-in-law and marrying this um, this uh, deaf mute woman. Um, it's funny because they both have the same name too. The daughter is named after the mother because the name's mm-hmm. Lucy Nell. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, which funny name, you know? Right. But um, but the mother is not innocent at all. No, no. So what? Why do you say that? What do you specifically say that for? Because the daughter, it's continually talking about her blue eyes her golden hair how innocent she is and i was just thinking um it talks about she's helpless eyes as blue as a peacock's neck which i would say there's peacocks in at least two of these stories Mm. and flannery Mm. o'connor loved peacocks yeah she did but they can also be like a symbol of christ Mm. or and i started thinking about this uh daughter though she's deaf and mute and this isn't how you would like to think of the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. but because of the blue eyes and it mentions the blue sky a lot, um, I started wondering if she was that symbol of somebody like Mary. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 
I yeah. have nowhere to go with that, so right. I apologize. No, no, I, just, I find that interesting because even a little bit later, it. Um, well, if I just continue the... Yeah, so, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm you're sorry. good. No, no, don't at all. I mean, yeah, there's no, no worrying about spoilers whatsoever in these. Yeah. You <laughs> okay. have to read this and just hang on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, the, the, the mother talks the man into marrying his daughter. Um, and the man, you know, you wonder about his motives all the time. Um, they, they get this car ready that, that she has and they drive into town and she gets, they get married. And then, um, Mr. Shiftlet and the, um, deaf mute Lucy Nell then go on a honeymoon and they drive and they stop at like a cafe and, um, at the cafe, the, the, uh, deaf mute, uh, woman, she falls asleep at the counter and, um, Mr. Schliff leaves her there. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, the counterboy keeps, he can't get over how pretty she yeah, is. Yeah, and that's that's the point that I was going to say, you know, that kind of feeds yeah. into what you're saying there. He says, you know, that she looks like an angel of God. Right. Right. And then right. that's Mr. Schliff's cue to leave, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is really crazy, you know. Um, yeah. He, wanted, he only wanted the car. He only wanted the car, so, right? Yeah, in the seventeen fifty, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. $17.50. But the moment that he does that, the moment that he leaves, he is just racked with guilt. He's racked with, uh, I mean, he says something about, you know, how the, the, um, the rottenness of the world, uh, he, he's thinking about the rottenness of the world, but he's, He's in it, right? He's, he's contributing to it. But he's talking about the rottenness of the world. And then he picks up a hitchhiker who's not even hitchhiking, actually. He's just standing by right. the side of the road. And then he picks this guy up and starts to talk about his, uh, what, his mom, I guess? And yeah, it's nothing so sweet as a boy's mother. Right. And then uh, the, the boy, I mean, they're driving, he's driving super slow. And then the boy just gets fed up. He's like, I don't want to talk about this. And um, doesn't he, let's see, what does he say? You're, I have it here. My old, my old woman is a flea bag and yours is a stinking pole cat. Yeah, you <laughs> go to he, the devil. And then he leaps from the car, right? Yeah, you go to the devil, right? And then that's it. And then he sees a sign that says, um, uh, drive safely, the life you save may be your own. Well... He'd seen that sign before. Oh, did he? I didn't. I this missed says, it did. Mr. Shiflet was so shocked that for about 100 feet, he drove along slowly with the door still open. Mm-hmm. A cloud, the exact color of the boy's hat and shaped like a turnip, had descended over the sun. And another, worse looking, crouched behind the car. Mr. Shiflet felt that the rottenness of the world was about to engulf him. He raised his arm and let it fall again to his breast. Oh, Lord, he prayed, break forth and wash the slime from this earth. Hmm. The turnip continued slowly to descend. After a few minutes, there was a guffawing peal of thunder from behind, and fantastic raindrops like tin can tops crashed over the rear of Mr. Shiflet's car. Very quickly, he stepped on the gas, and with his stump sticking out the window, he raced the galloping shower into Mobile. <laughs> so, the slime is going to be washed from the earth, but he's trying to get away. A, a, yeah, it's it. like it's like God's grace coming down, right? And he's running right. away from it. Well, mm. and he um, the before that, it's after he leaves uh, Mary uh, Lucy Nell. Sorry, mm-hmm. now I'm going to call her Mary mm-hmm. for no reason. Um, 
He sees occasionally he saw a sign that warned drive carefully. The life you save may be your own wow. before he picks up the hitchhiker. Yeah. So Flattery Connor, I mean, she's, she's herself in this story for sure. Um, I just love the way she does things. Um, when we first see Mr. Shiflet, it says, uh, he seemed to be a young man, but he had the look of a, of composed dissatisfaction as if he understood life thoroughly. Wasn't that great? Oh, she just nails stuff like that. I it's just, just loved yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. And then um, it also says, he came on at an amble upper road, his face for, turned toward the sun, which appeared to be balancing itself on the peak of a small mountain. And knowing her, always, she's got the always the Catholic Christian underlying worldview. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, yes, at the top of the mountain is always where God meets people. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. um, she often uses the sun as a sign of the uh, host. Yeah. Eucharist, and that but, was in my head too, because the the first story that um, I read in preparation or reread was uh, one that we're going to talk about later, a temple of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. And when I read that one, I thought back to this. So mm-hmm. you're right. Reading those two together enhances this. But then it says um, later that um, she said hello. And he doesn't say anything. He turned his back and faced the sunset. He swung his hole and his short arm up slowly so that they indicated an expansive sky and his figure formed a crooked cross. And so you don't know. You look at that and you think, okay, so there's he's facing the mountain. That's where God is. And um, he's got the crooked cross. And I was kind of, when I said, was looking around, like I said, mm. Uh, you saw people either saying this is a sign of his imperfect uh, look for salvation, or it's just a sign that salvation comes to us through imperfect methods. And I was like, well, clearly she's not talking about crosses uh, without meaning something. Mm, right. So you talking about grace coming down in the storm at the end is uh, kind of yeah. echoes those thoughts. Yeah, what I thought there was that he was suffering. He was a suffering person, Mm. an imperfect suffering person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I still just can't believe he didn't go back and get her. (laughs) I was waiting for it. Um, I read something really funny. It was talking about how she sold the TV rights to this. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, American Playhouse or something was going to make it. And she wrote somebody a letter and they said, she said, um, well, I have no doubt that they're going to rewrite it, totally ruin it, so that the uh, the idiot and the tramp wind up together in the car at the end of the thing, that he doesn't <laughs> leave her. And she goes, but in the meantime, Mama and I are going to be picking out a new refrigerator to bring back <laughs> with the money. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, and when you, you think about it, it it's like, you realistic. know, yeah, if, if the tramp had gone back and picked um, picked up Lucy now, um, would I be sitting here saying he should have gone to pick her up? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And maybe that's yeah. the whole point of what she does. Again, it's shocking that, you know, this is not as shocking as some of her other stories, obviously. No. But it's shocking that he didn't. It's like, well, wh- I mean, a, a person would do this? Yeah. Um, you know, and this is a deaf, mute woman. How is she ever going to get back? Well, this is how focused he is only on himself. Yeah, right. Absolute, he, complete she's a means selfishness. To an end. Yeah. Well, and he's a tool user, right? In the end, and yeah, he is a tool he's user. He's a handyman, and, he, and she's a tool. 
you know, it's for almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a crap car. Yeah, but for him, that's yeah, she's just a tool. Amazing. Well, and both um, him and the mother have their selfish goals that betray the innocent girl. So the because the mother in law, she doesn't care about the daughter. Yeah, she doesn't know who this guy is, but she wants to get the daughter married to him, mm-hmm. so he'll hang around and do all the chores. Right, right. Yeah. So who's more evil? <laughs> yes, everybody. <laughs> everybody is, except but I feel for, like the mother just sends her yeah. daughter off like that. Yeah, except for Lucy now, and and well, it's yeah. like yeah, and you, you know, um, yeah, the old woman doesn't know this guy at yeah. all. I mean, he could be the worst. You know, they have yeah. no idea. And then Mister Shiftlet is leaving Lucy now with a person that is, you know, he he looks at her and says she's an angel of God, you know, and touches her hair, and you're like. Well, I, I hope that he is in awe of her and will treat her well. Yeah. But there's the kind danger that he won't. You know? Right. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. And, he, well, and, and, and even after his encounter with the hitchhiker, um, who reacts angrily mm-hmm. to just him talking about his mother, right? Yeah, because um, you get the feeling that's just a lie. Right, right. Yeah, amazing that he doesn't even turn around. And well, it's like the rottenness of the world is enclosing on me, and I just made the most horrible decision, yet he's not going to correct it. Mm-hmm. He, he speeds away from it. Yeah. And wow, isn't that people? Man. Yeah. That's me, right? There's well, there's some of me there, right? Yeah. It's because um, when they're kind of essentially making the deal for Lucy now, and she's like, well, you could have the card. We could even repaint it. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is marry her, right? Yeah. It says, in the darkness, Mr. Shiflet's smile stretched like a weary snake waking up by a fire. Mm. And, of course, whenever you see that, that's, of course, a reference to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And the snake. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. also, the names, um, you know, Shiflet is like Shiftless. Mm-hmm. And um, isn't Crater there the old woman's last name? Mm-hmm. Yep, Mrs. Crater. Yeah, yep. so empty, an empty hole. Mm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So um, the other thing I was able to glean from this is the weather in this. It shows important moments. So um, for the honeymoon, it's a pale blue sky, so there's a chance for redemption. Mm. Uh, when he abandons Lucy Nell, you know, it talks yep. about there's a gathering storm. You could see some bad storm was going to come. Then after the hitchhiker's gone, of course, there's a big storm that's coming down. Yeah. And it also says, um, you know, after he left her at the diner and was driving away that he was more depressed than ever. Yeah. And which means he was depressed to start with. And he thought, well, you know, I need a car. A car is going to help me. Right. Be happy, and it of course it's not. That's a good and, point. And his uh, path to happiness, he left in the diner. It's like you know, just being able to help, being able to serve somebody else, yeah, and protect someone else. That was his path. Yeah, because mm-hmm. he he would have probably been relatively contented if he'd have stayed, right? Except right. he wouldn't have gotten along with the mother. Mm-hmm. But he liked fixing things. Mm-hmm. He felt uh, satisfaction in it, right? He did. Um, yeah. Well, he's a for one thing, he's a carpenter. Yeah. So there's another um, reference to Christ. 
True. But, yeah. I didn't make that one, but yep. Yeah. So um, these people all have ideas of what they want, but they're not willing. They want an easy answer maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And and there, there's a, another line in here. Um, and you just, you know, it says here, I'll, I'll read it first. It says, Mr. Shiflet said that the trouble with the world was that nobody cared or stopped and took any trouble. He said he never would have been able to teach Lucy Nell to say a word if he hadn't cared and stopped long enough. And that whole thing is just completely fake. It's not even, yeah. that's, I mean, it's him putting on a, an act, but yet it's true. <laughs> and he's talking about himself at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's like when he mm. talks about the mother uh-huh. at the end, but it's like, my mother was like this. Yeah. Well, that's how mother should be. Right. But you really get the feeling he's completely lying about his own mother. Cause, and it comes out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, and what what is that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, see. Yeah, it's nothing so sweet, Mr. Shiflet continued. As a boy's mother, she taught him his first prayers at her knee. She gave him love when no other would. She told him what was right and what wasn't. And she seen that he'd done the right thing. Son, I never rued a day in my life like the one I rued when I left that old mother of mine. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What on earth? I'm just like, what happened here? Unless he's just trying to set himself up as, um, you know, the wise man. Uh-huh. But. I guess. Anyway. I don't know. But, it, it, you know, to me, you know, he, he just left someone at the diner there. And he's, he rude the day that he left his mother. Who knows what the story was there? Yeah. You know, you have a feeling that there's much more to that thing than just I left. <laughs> but, um but he's like, I just did it again. You know? I you just. Know, the worst thing is, mm-hmm. I think this story is one I should have checked that mm-hmm. there's there was the advanced English teacher at my kid's high school. Uh-huh. And I can't remember which kid it was, but they, they had to read, I think it was this story. Mm-hmm. And they all were very confused. They went in and said, so what does it mean? And the teacher went, I don't know. I just had to teach it as part of the curriculum. I have no idea what Flannery O'Connor means. And I was like, oh, you should be ashamed. Oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, all right. Well, do we want to say anything else about that one? We have no, two I, others to go through. I, yes, let's move on. I, I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a great story to read in terms of her wordcraft as always yes and the story is compelling but very confusing Mm -hmm. in terms of what should happen and she's always like i said you know using violence and shocking methods to wake you up so that grace might get in but i this is not obvious at all i mean not not that her other stories are obvious but you Mm know yeah it's hard right right yeah and i mean just talking about it and what we've done and i do feel like we're both kind of unsure and just kind of walking gingerly around mm-hmm. trying to learn what it is but it already means more to me than it did 15 minutes ago yes i um, agree yeah there's there's some things here that maybe uh could stand another read um but they're you know trying to understand the character of mr shiflet it's like you know, a door that's opened up to me now is that when he left that girl there, 
it brought something up for him that he was realizing is a pattern of his behavior or something. But he was clearly moved by whatever happened with his mother. Whatever that happened was. Right. We have no idea what it was. But I have a, I have a feeling that, yeah, I just have a feeling there was way more to that. She could probably have written another story. Maybe uh, she did and took all that stuff out. Maybe. Maybe so. Yeah. But it's like this pattern of behavior. You know, it's like he, he felt really sorry. I mean, the whole world is closing in on him, the rottenness of the world. And God's grace is offered and he rejects it and keeps going. Um, that's yeah, because he's part of that rottenness. Right. He's part of the rottenness and he knows it. Mm-hmm. And then that is a problem with us people, right? We, Don't we know we, that? We know yes. it and we say it and we can articulate it, yet it it's so hard to change behavior. Yeah. It's so hard to, uh, to uh, go against that. Yeah, because we keep telling ourselves pretty stories about right. my mother so great and <laughs> so forth. Yes. And I did this because of this. Yeah. You know, in, in confession, you know, the priest, um, well, when a priest talks about confession, you know, all priests talk about it differently. But sometimes when he's talking to, to uh, people that are new to confession, it's like, you know, I don't want you to tell me why or I don't want excuses, you know. Um, when you come in, you know, you don't want to say, well, I did this, but this other guy did the thing and that's why I did the thing. And, um, so it's may not be as bad as, you know, that's not it. That's not you taking responsibility for what you've done, you know? So I imagine they get a lot of that. He married her. Mm -hmm. He left her there. Mm -hmm. No story he tells to any stranger for whatever reason. And that's, you, you brought up a good point. I didn't never Mm -hmm. understood that. And that, clearly could be why yeah right so yep just another some, nugget another n- <laughs> and there's lots <laughs> of nuggets in there oh my gosh sure. so many that just went right by me yeah yeah for sure yeah. but flannery is really good at this <laughs> she so, is yeah that's great i'm just not smart enough to get it <laughs> <laughs> okay so now we'll talk about the displaced person and when i read this I hadn't remembered it very well from a previous time. You I mentioned totally something that you it. totally forgot it. Yeah. But um, it is just surprisingly applicable to what's happening at this exact moment in history, in American history anyway. Um, yeah. But uh, a, the display, a displaced person is um, basically a refugee or an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and in this case, it's a Polish refugee. Um, so there's a, uh, the owner of this farm is named Mrs. McIntyre and she asks a priest, a Catholic priest to find her a displaced person to work as a farmhand on her farm. And he comes back with a Polish refugee named Mr. And I'm going to say Gwizak. I know. (laughs) G-U-I-Z-A-C. Yeah. And he has a, a little family with him. And they uh, relocate to the farm. And then, um, but there are some people that work there already. Um, they're named the Shortleys. And of course, they're threatened by the Guizak's presence. Because, mostly because Mr. Guizak turns out to be a very handy guy. And Mr. Shortly is not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's right? in a comfortable pattern. Uh, there are the black workers on the farm. 
and Mr. Shortly, and you discover later, they've all kind of gotten accommodation to where they just kind of let each other kind of slack off without telling. Right, right. Um, and Mr. Gwizak is just like, he's just happy to be out of Nazi-occupied Germany. Absolutely, yeah. Or whatever, it's after the war, I guess. Exactly, but. right. But he is, yeah, he's happy not to be over there because even after the war, it's pretty bad in Poland. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were basically on the wrong side of the fence at that point, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he's a refugee from there. And um, anyway, so he, he's awfully handy. He works hard. Um, he's thankful to be there. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Shortly are very jealous of that. Um, and Mrs. Uh, McIntyre, the owner of the place, she just wants the stuff done. And she's trying to figure out who's doing what all the time, you know, trying to manage the situation. <laughs> and then um, she ends up, Mr. and Mrs. Shortly try to manipulate things so that Mrs. McIntyre will fire the Gwizaks and send them on their way. They're always asking her to do that. And instead, she fires <laughs> the Shortleys. <laughs> she discovers, well, these are the people that are not... Um, they're not uh, helping my bottom line, so they're the ones who need to go. So they, she fires the shortlies. And then, um, after the shortlies leave, the Mr. Gwizak, she learns that Mr. Gwizak wants to bring someone else over um, from Poland. His and niece, His I niece, think. right. And her, his niece is maybe 15 or 16 years old. Mm, 16. Okay, and... Um, the way that he wants to do this is by having him marry one of the, I'm not going to say slaves, the the black uh, farmhands. Yeah. Because right? they're not slaves at this point. They're they're working right. there. Right. Um, and He's uh, cool with it. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's cool with it. He's got no problem with that. But uh, Mrs. McIntyre is absolutely shocked and appalled, and it completely changes her mind about the Gwizaks. Now she's against them. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's like, it doesn't matter if she's black. She's been in the camp for four years since she was 12. Right. And that's what he's you know, saying. That's, yeah, he just saying, keeps saying over and over, nothing. Right. And it's funny because he's not saying it's fine to be married to someone who's, well, he does say black doesn't matter. Uh -huh, right. That doesn't matter. Yeah. But he's like, you don't understand. This was awful. Yeah. Anything is better. Right. Right. You know? So he's not worried about, because he's also not worried about, is he educated? Is he, you know, is this just somebody he's gotten to know? You assume he likes him well enough mm -hmm. and he can get his niece in. Right, right. Yeah, so his, his and, purpose is to get his niece out of Poland so she'll and live. When this, <laughs> yeah, when this story was written, that would have been insanely shocking. Yeah, it would have been I shocking. was surprised when I read it yeah. because knowing the attitude of everybody I was mm -hmm. reading about, I was like, he's going to do what? Yeah. In this time period? Uh-huh. 1955 is when it was written. Yeah. yeah. No, nobody was doing that. Yeah. Except for love. Not, right. Not as an arranged marriage. So anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, and then uh, she brings back the Shortleys. Um, yeah. Well, one of the Shortleys, because Mrs. Shortley had a stroke or something. Um, on the day that they left, she mm -hmm. died. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was only Mr. Shortly. So she brings Mr. Shortly back and is convinced that she needs to get rid of Mr. Gwizak because of this. She just can't handle, she's shocked by it. She's 
completely changed her mind about him. It doesn't matter how good a worker he is. She just doesn't want him there anymore for this reason. And um, Mr. Shortley, of course, is... uh, he is more jealous than ever and angry because Mrs. Shortley died, and that's got to be Mr. Guizak's fault. Um, right. Right. So what what happens is Mrs. Mrs. McIntyre finally gets up the courage to go and tell Mr. Guizak that he's fired, and she goes out to the uh, barn where he's under a tractor. He's under some piece of equipment working on it, and... Um, Basically, while she's getting ready to tell him, she she uh, basically allows his murder to happen. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mister Shortly mm-hmm. walks in. He he has a tractor and he basically takes it out of gear and it's rolling towards where Mister gets Gu- off of it. Yeah, and gets off of it. And Mister Guizak is in the way. And um, you know he did that on purpose. And Mrs. McIntyre witnessed it, and she didn't say a word as it rolled right over him. And there was also the local, uh, one of the workers, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All three of them. Right. Um, at, at the end, it's like they're all three complicit. Yeah. Which yeah. which is wild. <laughs> so there's yeah. a shocking thing. And then um, the story ends. Uh, Mrs. McIntyre um, ends up like in a in a home of some type. And uh, she's, you know, pretty much lost her lost her will or whatever, you know, and, and, and the priest is the only one who's allowed to come visit her and things. Um, yeah. And the funny thing is, is she also despised the priest. Mm, right. And so she's left at the end. It says she had to stay in bed all the time with only a colored woman to wait on her. Her eyesight grew steadily worse and she lost her voice altogether. Not many people remembered to come out to the country to see her except the old priest. He came regularly once a week with a bag of breadcrumbs. And after he had fed these to the peacock, he would come in and sit by the side of her bed and explain the doctrines of the church. Yeah. So that's cool. And, um, it's powerful stuff. So the, uh, well, you know, it's interesting that it says, you know, he's explaining the doctrines of the church. Yeah. You know, because uh, over and over, let's see. Um, she's not a fan of the Catholics. She's not a fan of the Catholics at all. And I, I had this marking. It says, uh, did not have an advanced religion. <laughs> I'm like, where? And I'm looking at the page and I'm they like, They hadn't been reformed. That? She keeps there saying, from that place where no one's been reformed. Yeah. So Mrs. Shortley, no, this is Mrs. Shortley, not Mrs. McIntyre. Yeah, because right? different part, th- this is yep. a story in three parts and it's really long. And the first part is told by Mrs. Shortley. Yeah. So I was Ms. surprised when it switched. Right. Mrs. Shortley looked at the priest and was reminded that these people did not have an advanced religion. There was no telling what all they believed, since none of the foolishness had been reformed out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, you could just feel Flannery O'Connor going, yep, here's where I live. This is yep. what they all think. That's for sure. Yeah, because, you know, that's something that we can remind people that are listening, is she was a Catholic in a pretty heavily Protestant area. You in know. Georgia, yeah, yep, in the country. So, right. And then there was another thing. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, uh, there's this part he says uh, she'd better quit messing with that there priest Mr. Shortley said he don't look smart Mrs. Shortley said kind of foolish I ain't going to have the Pope of Rome tell me how to run no dairy <laughs> Mr. Shortley said 
They ain't Italians, they're Poles, she said, from Poland where all them bodies were stacked up at. You remember all them bodies? I give them three weeks here, Mr. Shorley said. So that's when they first brought in the Guizaks. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right, they're not they're not fond of the Catholics, that's for sure. Nope, or people who are, you know, Italians <clears throat> or Poles. Right, that's, right. You know, they're not from these parts. Not at all. Not at all. They come in and change things. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, their whole view of Europe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where all them bodies are stacked up at. Because those are the pictures that have been seen most recently out of World War II. Exactly, exactly. So here's another thing from, um, let's see, this is Mrs. Shortley. It says, she wondered, she wondered whether if the pole found Chansey's still, he would know what it was. The trouble with these people was, you couldn't tell what they knew. Every time Mr. Guizak smiled, Europe stretched out in Mrs. Shortley's imagination, mysterious and evil, the Devil's Experiment Station. Yeah, wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. But, um, you know, that's that's something that... um, it's like fear, right? It's mm-hmm. fear of unknown. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like you said at the beginning, they were all comfortable. And now it's like this person from Europe, which she doesn't understand, is coming and disrupting. And now it's like everything that he is is becoming fearful. You know, the, the Europe as a whole is the devil's experiment station. It's, yeah. You know, we don't know what his shifty eyes are <laughs> actually telling us. Yeah, so. and it's although he was a victim of the horrible persecution from mm-hmm. the Nazis. Yeah. She every time she sees him, she thinks about those stacked up bodies. It's almost like she's blaming him for that. Right. Um, yeah. For that. So, yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to me how in this whole story and maybe I said this I can't remember, but they start off disliking certain sets of people. And as the story goes on, I didn't expect it to shift to Mrs. McIntyre and then see her internal thoughts about all this stuff. And you could see how easily her displeasure with how things are affecting her caused her to just put all this negative stuff on these different groups of people, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mr. Guizak, you feel like she can see him pretty clearly. He's a good worker, all this stuff. And then, oh, nope, I, I don't approve of this thing. Hmm. Well, you know, let's retreat to what's comfortable and I don't like him anymore. Right. Exactly. exactly. And then I don't have to fire him because now he's dead. Although <laughs> it shocked her so much that she fainted. She was hmm. never the same since. And Mr. Shortly left. Um, the black guy who saw it, who witnessed it, left. The remaining black guy is like, well, I'm not going to work by myself. Mm. So she's abandoned by everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Ironically, Mr. Mm-hmm. Kwezak would have just kept working because that was his job. Right. That's what he was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yep. didn't care about all that internal politics stuff. He just wanted <laughs> to get along with things. That's get, right. Move on. And, and to him, you know, there were higher things, right? He just survived. Right. Right. right? So it's like, I, I would imagine that surviving something like that puts you in a different plane of perspective where it's like i'm not so worried about this other stuff and then you know with his niece he's like i want her to survive you know she's in danger where she's at yeah she needs to be over here and whatever we need to do to make that happen is secondary 
Yeah. You know? So, but yeah. Exactly. Right. So. But yeah, um, there's lots of fear and things. Well, also, I was interested because you do see <laughs> the peacocks are really important in this story, or the peacock. Yeah, it opens up with a peacock, right? Isn't this the one that opens, it starts? Um, yeah, there it is. The peacock was following Mrs. Shortly up the road okay. to the hill where she meant to stand. Moving one behind the other, they looked like a complete procession. Yep. And uh, a little further in, it's, I think this is Mrs. Shortly again. Yes. So... It says she stood a little while, a while longer, reflecting, her unseeing eyes directly in front of the peacock's tail. He had jumped into the tree, and his tail hung in front of her, full of fierce planets, with eyes that were each ringed in green and set against a sun that was gold in one second's light and salmon-colored in the next. She might have been looking at a map of the universe, but she didn't notice it any more than she did the spots of sky that cracked the dull green of the tree. She was having an inner vision instead. She was seeing the 10 million billion of them pushing their way into new places over here, which means the displaced people, mm, yeah. and herself a giant angel with wings as wide as a house, telling the Negroes they would have to find another place. She turned herself in the direction of the barn, musing on this, her expression lofty and satisfied. And so it's like she's being given a vision of heaven. Mm. She can't see it. She's so internally motivated. Yeah. By what she's worried about. Wow. Which is, of course, the case with a lot of us. And then the other thing that really calls to mind what's um, going on is the priest. Because um, peacocks were often uh, considered a symbol of Christ. Uh -huh. I don't know if you know that. Um, yeah, you said that earlier. Yeah, they was, were immortal. Uh-huh. They were thought to be immortal. Peacocks so, were thought um, to be immortal? Wow. Uh-huh. Neat. If I remember that right, sure. Could on be, our, yeah. our mm -hmm. on our uh, above the tabernacle in the mosaic that's set in this the part above it, are two peacocks drinking from the Eucharistic chalice. Mm, wow! For that reason, mm -hmm. so it's talking about the priest. It says he's fascinated by them. It says the priest let his eyes wander toward the birds. They had reached the middle of the lawn. The cock stopped suddenly and curving his neck backwards, he raised his tail and spread it with a shimmering, timbrous noise. Tears of small pregnant suns floated in a green-gold haze over his head. The priest stood transfixed, his jaw such an idiotic old man. Christ will come like that, he said in a loud, gay voice, and wiped his hand over his mouth and stood there gaping. And mm. it's that vision of glory mm. that you don't expect out of the ordinary, you know? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, it, it, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, she had peacocks, she liked them, and um, mm -hmm. Flannery O'Connor, I mean. And yeah. it's interesting to see this use of them so specifically in this story. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. the priest recognizes it, Mrs. Shortley doesn't, and Mrs. Shortley should, or needs it, because she has a, that stroke. Mm -hmm. And then there's some more. She, I, I'm not sure. I read another Flannery O'Connor story where so much Old Testament style wording is used. Mm. I'm thinking of the way she talks about the peacocks. But also it says um, she got to the top of this hill. 
And it says, suddenly while she watched, the sky folded back in two pieces like the curtain to a stage and a gigantic figure stood facing her. It was the color of the sun in the early afternoon, white gold. It was of no definite shape, but there were fiery wheels with fierce dark eyes in them, spinning rapidly all around it. And that's straight from the beginning of Ezekiel oh, wow. with the angel mm -hmm. yeah. appearing. And um, she was not able to tell if the figure was going forward or backward because its magnificence was so great. She shut her eyes in order to look at it, and it turned blood red and the wheels turned white. A voice, very resonant, said, prophesy. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Nice. Of course, later she has a stroke or whatever. And of course, you could say that was part of it. But this is also part of her being used as this messenger mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, her use of language. It's great. Um, so here at the very beginning of three, the priest, with his long, bland face supported on one finger, had been talking for ten minutes about purgatory, while <laughs> Mrs. McIntyre squinted furiously at him from an opposite chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were drinking ginger ale on her front porch. That's awesome. Yeah. And she says, listen, I'm not theological, I'm practical. I want to talk to you about something practical. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. And then she's trying to tell him to take away Mr. Guizak. You know, he's not satisfactory. And then the priest is trying to, you know, trying to smooth that over and keep him there. Because, you know, where else is he going to go? Well, he does. Yeah, he says, give him mm -hmm. time. He'll fit in. Yeah. He doesn't understand her motivation mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, not at all. So. Wow. Yep, yep, and then the powerful death at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so amazing. So there, there's a letter here in my version, you know, where it's, uh, mm -hmm. it says, uh, so this is Flannery O'Connor. My mother and I live on a large place, and I have bought me some peafowl and sit on the back steps a good deal studying them. I am going to be the world authority on peafowl, and I hope to be offered a chair someday at the chicken college. <laughs> <laughs> She's so funny. I know it. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, shall we move on to the last one? Let's do it. Okay. A Temple of the Holy Ghost. Yay. So this one's a short one, and it's and this one's a little more, uh, like you said earlier, upbeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and understandable. I laugh at that because is there such a thing? She is funny. <laughs> Flannery O'Connor yeah. is funny, but she's funny, and then she hits you with a hammer. You know, yeah. so it's like you know a, a cartoon or something where you hit with this giant mallet. Um, this is when I remember yeah. my book club read when we first thought, let's try some Flannery O'Connor. We all kind of came silent and appalled at what we'd read. But uh, but as oh we were gosh. talking about it, we were reading sections of it to each other out mm -hmm. loud. And this story, I remember, we were reading pieces of, and then all of us would be laughing so hard, we'd almost fall out of our chairs. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. And we didn't expect it until we heard it out loud. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. You know, yeah. it, it gave me a new appreciation. It's like us talking about over where you're like you can't get it all at one glimpse but mm -hmm. you can get a little more from talking and yeah. just that made me think of um them describing somebody described her reading i 
think a good man is hard to find. And she was reading uh-huh. it out loud and she yeah. would stop and laugh at her own stuff. And she laughed so hard she'd almost fall over. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she couldn't go on reading. Yeah. Yeah. That, that recording exists. I think it's on YouTube. You can get it too. So is she uh, laughing when um, she's I don't doing recall it? that. I don't recall okay. that, but it could be. That I don't but remember. But having her from read that. that story is pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, and she's voice. got that yeah. thick, thick Southern accent. And For there's sure. um there's a new book of letters of hers that weren't included in the habit of being, which is a big collection of letters. Mm-hmm. And um I was reading the one of the first letters, and it was somebody who accepted her into a college, but he said, so this young woman sat down and she said something to me in some language that was incomprehensible <laughs> and I couldn't understand any of the words. So I got her to say it again. Uh-huh. No, he, so he got her to say it three times and he finally said, write down what you just said to me. And what uh-huh. she wrote down was like, my name is Flannery O'Connor. I'd like to apply to be a student at <laughs> <in> the school <laughs> in this studying. Oh my this. gosh. <laughs> It's that is like so funny. gradually he goes, so she, I learned she spoke a different language called Georgian. And <laughs> so he goes, eventually I could come to understand it mostly. Oh my gosh. He goes, she lost it, a lot of it. But I just thought that was so funny. That is funny. Yeah. Too good. So all weekend, the two girls were calling each other Temple One and Temple Two, shaking with laughter and getting so red and hot that they were positively ugly particularly Joanne, who had spots on her face anyway. <laughs> That's the first mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They came in the brown convent uniforms they had to wear at Mount St. Scholastica. But as soon as they opened their suitcases, they took off the uniforms and put on red scar- skirts and loud blouses. Yeah. So these, uh, yeah. these two are visiting. So they're, they're cousins, right? Uh, they're visiting their cousin. Um, this this pair, Temple One and Temple right. Two, are visiting their cousin. And Temple One and Temple Two, they're Catholic schoolgirls who uh, are thinking. Not you know, there's not a lot of else going on other than men or you know boys in uh, yeah. clothes, right? They're fourteen, <laughs> right? They're yeah. typical fourteen-year-old teenage mm-hmm. girls. Yeah, and it's funny because the people they're going to see, the mother had pity on them and picked him up for the weekend and then she you can tell she's very soon sorry she did <laughs> and the da- daughter of the household is 12 right who just looks at him and thinks they're idiots and she's mm-hmm. not wrong she herself <laughs> is full of pride uh-huh. she doesn't know as much as she likes to think she does but she's not wrong about those girls and so she will say things that are really um poking fun at them and you'll see the mother kind of smile or try not to smile and kind of move on past it um I did like that whole, the temple of the Holy ghost thing. Cause that's just what a couple of girls would do or a couple of smart Alec teenagers. Oh, for sure. Oh, temple yeah. one, temple two. And so finally the mother says, why are you calling each other this? And I said, well, sister perpetua, the oldest <laughs> nun had given them a lecture on what to do if a young man should, you know, um, <laughs> behave in an ungentlemanly manner with them in the back of the automobile. Sister perpetua said they were to say, stop, sir. I'm a temple of the Holy ghost. And that would put an end to it. And um, <laughs> the child doesn't think this is funny. And it says her mother didn't laugh at what they said. I think you girls are pretty silly. She said, after all, that's what you are temples of the Holy ghost. The two of them looked up at her politely concealing their giggles, but with astonished faces as if they were beginning to realize that she was made of the same stuff as sister perpetua. Oh man. What a which, sense. I love yeah. It. Which struck me mm-hmm. because so often in these stories, the adults are 
problematic. And this mother I found really admirable. Mm, yeah. She was smart. She understood the girls. She also though was in line with the nun going, well, this is correct. Yeah. You know? Right. And um, then it says the child thought it's all over. Oh, well, somebody else was there. It said Miss Kirby preserved her set expression and the child thought, it's all over her head anyhow. I am a temple of the Holy Ghost, she said to herself, and was pleased with the phrase. It made her feel as if someone had given her a present. The the two boys that they go out with uh, are not Catholics, so they're... No. Right. They're from the Church of God, where of you God, have yep. to be very smart to be a preacher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's right. the, because the girl uh -huh. is busy pushing her Catholic superiority against what these these two young men are and you know like i know this stuff and you don't and she doesn't really understand it but she feels like there's something there and that's like the thing about the temple of the holy ghost um made her feel as if somewhat buddy had given her a present you kind of see that's that first little awakening of knowledge of a different reality yeah, yeah that's what that's Being right. touched just a second by the holy spirit which is what we would call the holy ghost these mm. days is the holy spirit yeah yeah which I'm, I'm in favor of i the holy ghost the ghost has changed in sense since it mm. used to be called that but right right anyway so yeah so continue um, yeah so in the you know susan and joanne the temple one and temple two <laughs> they uh they uh, are set up with two boys who are, like you said, from the Church of God, and they're studying to be preachers. And uh, it looks like they're Wendell and Corey, right? Yeah. So the mother says they'll be safe with those boys. They'll be safe with those boys, right. So they yeah. they go out, um, and that, that was some fun stuff. Um, you know, so they, they, were, they sing, they sang wherever they were at, and then the girls started to sing in Latin. And uh, everybody was startled. <laughs> right, because they were singing yeah. things like, I've got a friend in Jesus or something, uh, that's like the right. Rugged Cross. Yeah. Songs that Catholics wouldn't have known at the time, especially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Catholics were only singing their own songs. So they sang a Latin song, and they were like, "Them, that's Jew singing, isn't yeah. it? And you're just like, oh, great. Yeah. Oh, man. But then I like that, you big dumb ox, because the girl's oh, like stamping her too, foot. Yeah. You big dumb church of God ox. So she's... Stick it up for the stuff, even though she doesn't really understand it. That's right. Um, and I love to hear, uh, let's say, uh, her mother had arranged for them to have supper in the backyard, and she had a table laid out uh, there under some Japanese lanterns that she pulled out for garden parties. I ain't eating with them, the child said, and snatched her plate off the table and carried it to the kitchen and sat down with the thin blue-gummed cook and ate her supper. How come you be so ugly sometime? The cooks cook asked. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, those stupid idiots, she said. <laughs> you know, but I just love that the cook said that to her. Yeah. 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 And I like she is how, being ugly. How uh, in Flannery, you know, uh, how come is one word. Mm? How come you be so ugly yeah. sometimes? <laughs> it's so funny because mm -hmm. I know how come. I don't right. say it, mm -hmm. but I must have said it. Right. How come. Yeah. And maybe I do say it and I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know. Yeah. Um, That's cool. But it's neat yeah. that he, he would say that to her. And, uh, yeah. And well, then he and actually goes on to say, uh, God could strike you deaf, dumb, and blind, the cook said, and then you wouldn't be as smart as you is. I would still be smarter than some, the child said. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Yeah. 
Because then they're going to uh, the girls are going to the carnival, right? Or the fair. They go to the fair, right? She can't go though, right? Yep. So she's thinking about it. Mm-hmm. She thought she'd like to be a doctor. That she thought she'd <laughs> like to be an engineer, based on the what she imagines is going on inside the tents that she's seen That's right. That's signs right. for. Yeah. And then she says she'd have to be a saint because that was the occupation that included everything you could know. And yet she knew she would never be a saint. She did not steal or murder, but she was a born liar and slothful, and she sassed her mother and was deliberately ugly to almost everybody. She was also eaten up with the sin of pride, capital P, the worst Mm -hmm. one. She made fun of the Baptist preacher who came to the school at commencement to give the devotional. And so um, this is a self-examination, right? Yeah, yeah. She knows herself pretty well. This is what you would do for confession. Right, right. How interesting, you know, then, and she said, oops, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, then she thinks about all the ways she'd, she'd have to be murdered pretty quick, you know. Yeah, so she I love that take it. Yeah. It's what we'd all hope for, right? That's, that's I, I really the line, can't, right? Can't take the torture. Oh, my gosh. She could she, never be a saint, but she thought she could be a martyr if they killed her quick. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah. I love it. She could stand to be shot, but not to be burned in oil. She didn't know if she could stand to be torn to pieces by lions or not. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the way kids imagine stuff like that. So she starts to think about what her martyrdom would be like. That lions would love her and not eat her, so they have to chop her head off kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and these and are all lions, the same stories. Right. And a group of lions is called a pride, right? Oh, yeah. God, so she says, uh, that. I love this. So she began to prepare her martyrdom. Seeing herself in a pair of tights in a great arena, lit <laughs> by the early Christians, hanging in cages of fire, making a gold dusty light that fell on her and the lions. The first lion charged forward and fell at her feet, converted. A whole series of lions did the same. The lions liked her so much, she even slept with them, and finally the Romans were obliged to burn her. But to her, to their astonishment, she would not burn down, and finding she was so hard to kill, they finally cut off her head very quickly with a sword, and she went immediately to heaven. She rehearsed this several times, <laughs> returning each time to the entrance of paradise, or at the entrance of paradise to the lions. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, like the lions came with her. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Right, and then um, then the girls come home from the uh, fair, right? Yeah. Uh, thank you that I'm not in the church of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Made me laugh. And anyway, they came in at a quarter to 12, and then they tell her about uh, some freaks that they saw. That's what they called them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I enjoyed it all, but the you-know-what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh little gosh. pictures. Little pictures. Big ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. So, um, but yeah, they, they described uh, seeing someone who uh, lifted up their dress and were both a man and a woman. A hermaphrodite. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was something <laughs> on oh, the rabbit. <laughs> well, but and so the freak says they, which is what he's called in the story, and what uh-huh. everybody would have called it back then. Yeah. Um, I'm going to show you this, and if you laugh, God may strike you the same way. The freak had a country voice, slow and nasal, and neither high nor low, just flat. God made me this way, and if you laugh, He may strike you the same way. This is the way He wanted me to be, and I ain't disputing His way. 
I'm showing you because I got to make the best of it. I expect you to act like ladies and gentlemen. I've never done it to myself or had a thing to do with it, but I'm making the best of it. I don't dispute it. And I like the little girl going, do you mean there were two heads? Cause she's like, she can't imagine. And frankly, neither can I now that I think about it, but um, yeah. And it's just, but it's that real humble acceptance. This is how God wanted me to be. I make the best of it. Right. Right. And that's the center of the entire story. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I, think I realize so I'm jumping ahead of your, uh, just describing it. But. Oh, that's great. Yep. So, uh, you know, God done this to me and I praise him, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Raise yourself up, a temple of the Holy Ghost. So he says that too. Uh, Raise yourself up, a temple of the Holy Ghost. You, you are God's temple, don't you know? Don't you know? God's spirit has a dwelling in you. Yeah. Well, that's her dream. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it obviously affected her. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it affected her. It did affect her. If anybody desecrates the temple of God, God will bring him to ruin. And if you laugh, he may strike you this away. A temple of the God is a holy thing. Amen. Amen. Because yeah. it's all based around, I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, I really, I don't know why until we're talking about this, it hadn't struck me as to how appropriate this story is for right now mm-hmm. when you've got all this transgenderism going uh-huh. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, no one's trying to accept themselves the way they are suddenly it's got to physically all be changed Hmm. you know yeah and and in so many ways we're all like that we all have to accept ourselves the way we are and then work with what god gave us because we're a temple of the holy ghost that's right if god is in us then that's how do we work towards becoming the full person he meant us to be whatever the circumstances yeah because no one's got it easy Mm-hmm. Whether it's something physical like that or, you know, family or whatever other conditions we're in, everyone's got stuff. Yeah, that's for sure. We do. And no one <laughs> wants to accept it. That's that's all true. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then uh, after that, they, they drop the girls back off home um, the next day at the convent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they were leaving the convent door, the big nun swooped down on her mischievously and nearly smothered her in the black habit, mashing the side of her face into the crucifix hitched onto her belt and then Mm. holding her off and looking at her with little periwinkle eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then they're just driving home. And uh, that's when she kind of has this vision at the very end. Well, but even before that, um, you know, she's describing, they're going into the chapel and they're going to have, is it benediction, I guess, mass. And um, it says, you know, she was kneeling and they were well well into the tantum ergo, which, Uh, you know, I'm so disconnected, but early part Mm -hmm. of the mass before her ugly stops thought, thought stopped. And she began to realize that she was in the presence of God. Mm. So there's that connection with the Eucharist, right? Right. Help right. me not to be so mean, she began mechanically. So these are the things that she's always praying. Uh-huh. Help me not to give her so much sass. Help me not to talk like I do. Her mind began to get quiet and then empty. But when the priest raised the monstrance with the host shining ivory colored in the center of it, she was thinking of the tent at the fair that had the freak in it. The freak was saying, I don't dispute hit. This is the way he wanted me to be. 
Wow. And that's mm-hmm. right before she's marked essentially with the mm-hmm. crucifix. Right, right. So she's she's getting more self-knowledge and more um kind of meditating in her own childish way on the mystery of God and us. Absolutely. So sorry, then the ride home. No, yeah, then the yeah. ride home. Yeah, and at the very read the last paragraph if you would. Okay. Um her mother well, she found out that they'd shut down the carnival. Mm-hmm. They found out about the hermaphrodite. We're like, nope, move on. Yeah, yeah. Her mother let the conversation drop, and the child's round face was lost in thought. And, of course, the, the nun also had a round face, moon-shaped mm. face. Yeah. She turned it toward the window and looked out over a stretch of pasture land that rose and fell with a gathering greenness until it touched the dark woods. In the church also, they mentioned green arches mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. The sun was a huge red ball, like an elevated host drenched in blood. And when it sank out of sight, it left a line in the sky, like a red clay road hanging over the trees. Beautiful. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Love it. This is the way. And that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're talking about. Influence the reading of another story too. Yeah. 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 Right. I read this before I read um, uh-huh. The Life You Saved May Be Your Own. Right. Well, and this story to me was so much more understandable, so much more um, easy to kind of track everything. And uh, maybe it was because of the lightness or the simplicity of what was happening. The, the shocking thing was only the hermaphrodite, and that wasn't actually shocking in the way it's presented. Yeah, because right. that childlike uh, curiosity and sharing of secrets and everything, and maybe it would have been in the time it was written in. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just seems so much more straightforward, and also at the same time, this real meditation on the mystery of faith and of God's will for your own life. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I'm looking at um, one of her letters. And oh. I'd love to read some from this. Yeah, please. Um, so she says, so this is a letter that she wrote in December of 1955. So this is Flannery O'Connor. Uh, she says, as I understand it, the church teaches that our resurrected bodies will be intact as to personality. That is, intact with all the contradictions beautiful to you, except the contradiction of sin. Sin is the contradiction, the interference of a greater good by a lesser good. I look for all variety in that unity, but not for a choice. For when all you see will be God, all you will want will be God. About its being cowardly to accept only the nun's embrace, remember that the nun that when the nun hugged the child, the crucifix on her belt was mashed into the side of the child's face, so that one accepted embrace, so that one accepted embrace was marked with the ultimate all-inclusive symbol of love, and that when the child saw the sun again, it was a red ball, like an elevated host drenched in blood, and it left a line like red clay road in the sky. Now here, the martyrdom that she had thought about in a childish way, which turned into a happy sleeping with the lions, is shown in the final way that it has to be for us all, an acceptance of the crucifixion, Christ's and our own. As near as I get to saying what purity is in this story, is saying that it is an acceptance of what God wills for us, an acceptance of our individual circumstances. 
Now, to accept renunciation when those are your circumstances is not cowardly, but of course I'm reading you short here too, whoever she's talking to. Mm -hmm. I understand that you don't mean that renunciation is cowardly. What you do mean, I don't mean in so many words, no. Understand, though, that like the child, I believe the host is actually the body and blood of Christ, not a symbol. If the story grows for you, it is because of the mystery of the Eucharist in it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, something that's funny uh, right before that. <laughs> so she's responding to whoever she's writing to. She says, yeah. when I said that the devil was a better writer than somebody named Sagan, <laughs> <laughs> I meant to indicate that the devil's moral sense coincides at all points with his dramatic sense. <laughs> oh my god so funny oh uh, for sure one of those things and this is just a little tidbit out of the story mm-hmm. is um early on when they're having dinner about with the girls and thinking about who could they go to the fair with and everything uh she's She's been, the girl has been teasing about Mr. Cheatham could do it. And he's Miss Kirby's, elderly Miss Kirby's suitor, so to speak. And so the mother says, "Um, now listen, I don't want to hear any more about Mr. Cheatham. Her mother said, you embarrassed Miss Kirby. He's her only friend. And oh my Lord. And she sat up and looked mournfully out the window. That poor soul is so lonesome. She'll even ride in that car that smells like the last circle of hell. (laughs) And and she's the temple of the Holy Ghost, too, the child reflected. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that, that kid's already taking that early in that story and applying it to everyone. Everyone's got, you know, their struggles. Mm. They're the temple of the Holy Ghost, but that one's so lonely. The, these girls are so obnoxious. The, You know, all those things. Wow. Which is what O'Connor's mm. talking about. Yeah. Wow. And to me, that's so much of, I, you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm unsympathetic, although I guess in some ways I am, mm-hmm. to people with all these problems that keep getting brought up, especially some of the new ones where I'm just like, ah, transgender stuff and that kind of thing, where I'm thinking, can we slow down a little bit? Yeah. Can we have to rush into everything? Um, but it's that idea of... We have to fix everything right this second. And fixing things is good. I mean, you know, we talked last time about, you know, that's the reason we have a lot of hospitals. Catholics began that. We're serving Jesus and the poor and the needy and anybody we can help. Um, It's why there are soup kitchens and everything else. But we've all got these things that we struggle with that can't be fixed. Where does Jesus supply the sufficiency that our own natures were created by him? Where is he going to fill us up where we're missing something? Mm -hmm. And that's what this story is talking about, really. Yeah, you're right. It is. And it's it's prescient that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right on the the quick moving. You know, we're we're not worried about consequences. We're yeah. We're uh, we're trying to fix things that we don't quite get. You know, and you said yeah. you know these are new. You know, the problems aren't new. Right. Um, our reaction to them is new. That yes, thank you mm-hmm. for clarifying that. Yeah. And and the words for things are new also. Right. Right. That um. 
Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we don't know what um, we we don't know what we're doing. You know, that, that's something that people complain about the Catholic Church. You know, is well, we need to change quickly. We need to change more quickly. And, and no, we don't. We we need to be deliberate. We need mm-hmm. to be cautious. We need to try to understand implications. Um, that's what we do, right? It's uh, it's a very slow moving thing. Yeah, because we're often quick to think also there's one solution. Mm-hmm. There's one problem. And there's <clears throat> one big answer. Well, well yeah. so often the answer to things are it's complex. Things it's aren't very, just very caused com- usually it's very by complex. Yeah. yeah, it's not like malaria. There's mosquitoes that carry malaria, so let's yeah. do this, you know. Um Right. Well, if we take something that's uh, a little bit less, although it is a lightning rod, it's a little bit less of a lightning rod than something yes. like gay marriage, for example, would be uh divorced people taking communion, right? Oh yeah. The problem the problem is if you start allowing that, there are implications of that. There are, it, it, it's the first thing of many things, right? Um, it, the, the, the doors that it opens logically are doors that we may not want to be open, right? It's, it's yes. something that if you, if you do this, now why don't you do this? And then why don't you do this? You know, the, they say this slippery slope, but I don't quite like that um, mm-hmm. because it, it's like, well, this is the teaching of the church and it's difficult and it's okay that it's difficult is, is one thing for, you know, the difficulty has not, it's become not okay anymore to yeah. a lot of people in, in a lot of different issues. But the thing is, it's not just a matter of saying, yes, let's go ahead and do that because it contradicts our teaching in ways that we don't fully understand. It's like, you know, you, if you open that door, what have you actually done? And some of the things, some of the consequences of that are going to be unintended. Yeah, exactly. Right. In, in many ways, uh, we can even look at something like, um, contraception Mm -hmm. and, um, it's the, I remember people talking about contraception. I was like, what a bunch of idiots, you know, before I was Catholic and had to look into it and kind of go, well, why does the church teach what it does? And I was like, so you think about contraception and the fact that Pope Paul VI wrote Humanae Vitae and you go back and look at it now and it's been what, 40, 50 years or more. And all the things he said, we have to consider this could affect this and this and this and this and this and this. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. And everybody laughed. Well, not everybody, uh-huh. but most of the educated world went, no, that doesn't really follow. But he was correct because he was stopping just to kind of go, let's let our minds range on all the possible things and let's take this really slowly. And we can't approve this one little thing that seems like it's really positive for other reasons because it will have these wide spinning implications. Right. And right. Um, even now, people who are listening who maybe haven't read very much about it, and I'm, I am no expert and, you know, don't, I'm not trying to sound sassy about it. It's just you read back and you look at how different things develop that are really harmful to our culture and to families and people. And a lot of it came from that idea, the idea behind contraception. Right. And the, I think the main, 
the main part of that that you're pointing out is uh, the divorce rate. Yeah. You know, that, that was the main uh, problem there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the main thing that he predicted that came true. It's the yeah. most obvious thing that you can just point at. Yeah. And uh, our divorce rate is astronomical. And the problems that that has caused our society are legion, right? Oh, yes. So, for And sure. that's not popular to say either. But, you know, at some point, you just have to stop and go. You listen to enough people talk about their lives, and that's a huge factor. Mm-hmm. In, in hurt, traumatized people yeah. from the time they were young or going through it themselves or and and sometimes it's that thing and we're not talking about like cases of physical abuse or that kind of thing but a lot of times it's that idea of but I can make this easier this doesn't really make sense and sometimes it's working through the really hard stuff that gives you the value in what you've done it's like training for a marathon in a lot of ways all that hard training wow you just pointed right back to the story um, it's an acceptance of our situation yeah yeah just going. Right. So an acceptance of our yeah. situation and working through it rather than saying, oh, I just need to have a change now. Yeah. I mm. need to make it easy. I need to make it easier. If I, if I left this situation, I wouldn't have to deal with this situation, mm-hmm. whatever that situation is. you know. And in my own life, working through some of the hard things, this is what draws you closer to people a lot of times. It's what... Um, helps you develop yourself. I mean, is that one thing of one of the prayers that I will say sometimes is, you know, Lord, draw me closer, even though I'm afraid of what that means. Mm -hmm. Because it's usually not, you know, just dropping something sweet in your lap. It's by putting you in a situation that's difficult and that you have to struggle through. And at the end of it, you go, oh, yes, I now see what I got from that. Mm. I shed things that were bad for me. I gained things that were good for me. I learned to love better. All these things. I know I'm loved better. But you have to do the hard work. And these days, you know, people will go on all these weird diets to lose weight or be more fit or healthy. They'll, um, like I was saying, they'll they'll do all this training in order to do a marathon or whatever it is. And they don't think of that as odd. Uh-huh. But you do something spiritual or, you know, something hard for your soul, and that's unhealthy because mm. it's not easy. Wow. Well put. Very so, true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Way to go, Flannery. <laughs> she, she nailed it. She did. And, it's, it's amazing. You know, that and that story really spoke to me, obviously. Yeah, she's remarkable. It's, um, yeah, I mean, here were three stories that um, I was iffy about <laughs> coming into this, and yet yeah. it spurred all this stuff. So yeah, that's what a great writer does. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it, of course, Flannery O'Connor is going to understand that too because she suffered from lupus and died young. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. But still kept going. Right. So. Yeah. Anyway. Wow, cool. But it still speaks today more than ever, which is really the sign of something uh, true, capital T, true that's in mm. there. Right. Yes, Good indeed. choice, Scott. I, <laughs> I have to admit, I was partway through the displaced person going, why, why? am I having to read this? It's like a homework assignment, but uh-huh. it's that suffering through it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to me. just accept your situation. Julie. <laughs> you do. You have to accept the reading that was assigned to you and move on. <laughs> you know, the life you may save may be your own. Oh, gosh, I hope. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, gracious. Love it, love it. <laughs> All right. So next up for us is Babette's Feast. Oh, yeah. Yes. Love it. Kind of a, yeah. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it's almost like um, the message from the Temple of the Holy Ghost, too. Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Have you seen it before? I have not. I don't believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't recall ever seeing it. So, yeah. We'll check it out. I know that yeah. that's one of the movies that people point to as, you know, the best Catholic movies of all time. That's always on the list. Yeah. And I could say more, but I will save it for next time. Okay. So. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. All right. Enjoy. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for okay. listening, everybody. <laughs> Have a good couple of weeks. We'll uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.